Welcome to Healing Hearts, empowering critical care providers. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended as a training tool for Children's Hospital and Medical Center personnel. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Complete information regarding the podcast, including its limitations on usage, is available under the episode description. Welcome to Healing Hearts. I'm Dr. Laura Ortman, and I'm a cardiac intensivist at Children's Hospital Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about tetralogy of flow with pulmonary atresia and major aorta to pulmonary collateral arteries, shortened to TET-PA MAPCAS. The term pulmonary atresia VSD MAPCAS is also used and means the same thing for us in the ICU. We'll learn about what it is, what it looks like, what we do about it, and how to take care of these patients in the ICU after surgery. So let's get started. In a previous episode on Tetralogy of Fallot, I talked about the four components of TET. One, pulmonary stenosis. Two, VSD. Three, overriding aorta. And four, right ventricular hypertrophy. TET-PA MAPCAS has the same four components, except instead of pulmonary stenosis, it has pulmonary atresia, where the pulmonary valve does not exist or is so stenotic it does not open, and no blood goes directly from the heart into the lungs. I have also discussed pulmonary atresia with intact ventricular septum on this podcast. TET with pulmonary atresia and VSD is different because of the VSD. The right ventricle can grow to reasonable size and a two ventricle repair is possible. So if the lungs aren't getting blood directly from the heart through the pulmonary valve, where are they getting it from? There are two options. Number one is a patent ductus arteriosus, a PDA. This is a remnant of fetal circulation and shunts blood from the aorta to the central pulmonary arteries. If this is the case, the baby is kept on prostaglandin to keep the PDA open, and they can go to the OR for a shunt or a complete repair with RV to PA conduit. Option number two for pulmonary blood flow is MAPCAS. The lungs are greedy, and if they can't get blood from the heart or a PDA, they will get it anywhere they can. MAPCAS form from fetal vessels that persist after birth. They are large, usually torturous arteries that come off the systemic arterial circulation to supply the lungs. Usually there are six or less, and they primarily come off the descending aorta, but may also come from the innominate artery, subclavian artery, or ascending aorta. Small central pulmonary arteries may still exist, with them being backfilled by the MAPCAS. Knowing whether central PAs exist and if each lung segment is attached to them in some way is important for the surgeon for planning the future repair. The most common genetic diagnosis with TET-PA MAPCAS is 22Q11 deletion, the George syndrome which we previously encountered in the truncus arteriosus episode. Most TET-PA-MAPCA patients will be identified prenatally. A second trimester ultrasound will show only one great artery leaving the heart. But what if the diagnosis isn't known? What will this patient look like in the newborn nursery? This is a total mixing lesion, with all the red blood and all the blue blood mixing together before leaving the heart. So the patient will be cyanotic. How cyanotic depends on how large the MAPCAs are and how much blood is flowing through them. It is possible, at least at first, to have significant pulmonary overcirculation and systemic saturations in the 90s. Over the first few weeks of life, pulmonary vascular resistance drops and more blood flows to the lungs. Signs of heart failure can then develop. A continuous murmur can be heard in the axilla and back, which is the sound of blood flowing through the MAPCAS. It's possible to have stenosis of the MAPCAS and deeper cyanosis after birth, but that usually develops later on. The natural history of MAPCAS is to narrow most commonly at the point the MAPCA comes off the aorta, and they can eventually disappear. Untreated patients will eventually die of cyanosis, and half won't make it to two years of age. If the patient has reasonable saturations, meaning in the 70s or higher, 
they may not need surgical intervention immediately after birth and are able to go home and grow for a while. Eventual surgical management is individualized, but will involve three things. One, reconstruction of the RV outflow tract. Two, VSD closure. And three, unifocalization. These three things may occur at the same time or may be done in stages. Unifocalization is a term we haven't encountered yet in this podcast, so let's talk about that. Unifocalization means detaching the MAPCAs from their origin on the aorta and attaching them to a central pulmonary artery. This can be either a native central PA that has been augmented or one completely created by the surgeon. Blood flow is then established to the pulmonary arteries by a shunt or an RV to PA conduit. Let's talk about the potential surgical stages. The first possibility is that the patient has small but present central pulmonary arteries. We believe that it is better in the long term to unifocalize the MAPCAs to native tissue rather than artificial, so it would be in the patient's best interest for these PAs to grow. In that case, the surgeon may first perform a shunt from the aorta to the PAs to allow for extra pulmonary blood flow so the PAs grow. Then they will come back for the unifocalization. Patients with multiple small to moderate-sized MAPCAs may have to undergo multiple surgeries to bring the MAPCAs together along with shunts to encourage growth. Some small MAPCAs that go to portions of the lungs that have flow from the central PAs may be left alone to stenose close. Whether to close the VSD to create a completely repaired two-ventricle heart can be decided in the operating room based on measured pulmonary artery pressures. If PA pressures are high due to residual stenosis or abnormal vasculature, the VSD may be left open, as closing it risks high RV pressures and RV failure. The patient will still be cyanotic. If PA pressures are low, the VSD can be closed and the repair will be complete. At least half of all patients are able to get a complete repair with only one operation. So let's go to the ICU and take this patient back from the OR after surgery. Usually in these episodes, I talk about postoperative low cardiac output, arrhythmias, and pulmonary hypertension, and I'll cover those here briefly. However, this operation has some unique complications, so I'm also going to talk about pulmonary contusion, bronchospasm, reperfusion injury, and bleeding. The postoperative course is going to be variable based on what all was done in the OR. I'm going to focus on a patient that has had a unifocalization with VSD closure, so a complete repair. We'll start with low cardiac output. The good news is patients with TEP PMAP could usually have good preoperative function. The bad news is complicated unifocalizations can have long bypass runs, sometimes several hours. A long bypass run increases the risk of low cardiac output syndrome the first postoperative night. There's also the additional good news that these surgeries are generally not done in neonates, lessening the risk of LCOS. Like other TETs, the right ventricle can have diastolic dysfunction, meaning it is stiff and does not relax well. They can need higher preload and thus fluid boluses the first postoperative night. Next up, arrhythmias. Unifocalization itself should not increase the risk of postoperative arrhythmias. But if the patient has had their VSD closed, the repair is close to the AV node, putting the patient at increased risk for both heart block and junctional ectopic tachycardia. And the last of the usual complications, pulmonary hypertension. Because MAPCAS often develop stenosis early, the pulmonary vascular bed is generally protected from damage from high pulmonary blood flows and pressures. So these patients don't develop the type of pulmonary vascular disease we often associate with unrepaired heart disease. However, the pulmonary vasculature is often very abnormal with multiple levels of stenosis. This can result in high pulmonary artery pressures that are not responsive to pulmonary vasodilators like nitric oxide, and this can cause stress on the RV. There may not be much we can do about this in the ICU. What is important for you to know is whether your patient has any places for residual shunting, such as an open VSD or fenestrated ASD. If they do, then your patient will likely desaturate easily when crying or active. 
That means the residual shunt is working as intended. And as long as they don't become too cyanotic, this may not be a problem as long as they recover their saturations when they calm. Unifocalizations have some unique complications that we haven't talked about in other episodes. Let's talk about the lungs, specifically pulmonary contusion, bronchospasm, and reperfusion injury. First, pulmonary contusion. The takeoffs to the mapcas are often not in the mediastinum, but deeper in the thorax. This means that the lungs need to be de-aired and pushed out of the way for prolonged periods of time during the unifocalization surgery. This can result in bruising of the lung tissue. Clinically, this manifests as increased oxygen need, increased pressures on the ventilator, and sometimes pulmonary hemorrhage. The x-ray will show infiltrates and you will have crackles on exam. There is nothing much we can do for these in the ICU besides give the patient time, so good supportive care. The patient will actually look better long before the chest x-ray does. The second possible pulmonary complication is bronchospasm. In bronchospasm, the airways constrict, so high ventilator pressures are required to get air into the lungs, and airflow out of the lungs is restricted, causing audible wheezing on exam. This is likely due to the dissection of mapcas around the bronchial tree or interruption of blood flow to the bronchus. Unlike asthma, this bronchospasm is not very responsive to bronchodilators, but we will still try them. And a therapy to reduce airway turbulence, such as helium, can be useful. Like pulmonary contusion, this complication will take at least several days to improve. So our job is to support the patient while not doing too much damage to the lungs with high ventilator pressures. And last possible pulmonary complication is reperfusion injury, which can also be called ischemia reperfusion injury. This can occur in any organ when there is a period of decreased perfusion and oxygen supply, then a return of blood flow. In pulmonary atresia, there may be parts of the lungs that don't have adequate blood flow due to stenosis of the vessels. After unifocalization, good blood flow is reestablished, which is great in the long run, but can cause trouble right after surgery. With reperfusion injury, there's inflammation and oxidative stress causing microvascular injury. Clinically, this causes vascular leakage, leading to pulmonary edema. At the bedside, this may be difficult to differentiate from pulmonary contusion, as there will be hypoxemia, need for increased ventilator pressures, crackles on lung exam, and infiltrates on chest x-ray. What is the treatment? You're right if you said supportive care. Because of these pulmonary complications, the average length of intubation is longer after unifocalization when compared to other heart surgeries. Studies show that 30 to 50% of patients are still intubated five days after surgery, and prolonged intubations are not rare. The last complication I'm going to talk about today is bleeding. Remember when I said if the lungs aren't getting adequate blood flow from the heart, they will pull it from somewhere else? Decreased pulmonary blood flow not only causes the development of MAPCAs, which are major collateral vessels, but also results in the development of smaller collaterals all through the thorax. The lungs will literally pull blood out of the chest well if they have to. As the MAPCAs become stenotic over time, more of these small collateral vessels develop to try to maintain saturations. To repair the defect, the surgeon has to get through all these collaterals to get to the heart and the pulmonary arteries. These collateral vessels are so small and numerous that they can't be tied off, and there's only so much cautery that can be done. So these patients are at high risk of bleeding, both during and after the surgery. The risk rises the older the patient is and the bluer they are before surgery. Many years ago, I took care of a girl from sub-Saharan Africa. As a newborn, her parents had taken her to Europe, but they were told that nothing could be done and to take her home to die. But she didn't die and was a very blue but very alive adolescent. Her parents raised the money to come to the U.S. for another opinion. She had a complete repair, which took over 15 hours. I spent half that night standing at the bedside with the nurse, stripping the chest tubes to keep them flowing. 
while another nurse poured in blood products. There was nothing surgical to do, given how extensive the collateral network was. But with time, these blood vessels will clot off and the bleeding subsides. You just need to keep up. With the great bedside care she received, this patient went home with a normal oxygen saturation for the first time in her life. I was once asked during a job interview what my favorite heart disease was. I said TEPPA MAPCAS because not only did I have to know cardiology, but I also had to remember all my pulmonary critical care training as well. I would no longer answer that way as acute fulminant myocarditis has taken my top spot, but I still find TEPPA MAPCAS fascinating, and I hope you do too. Next month, we're going to discuss the Kawashima procedure for single ventricle anatomy with an interrupted inferior vena cava. Until then, follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Dr. Ortman CICO. For more information about Children's Hospital and Medical Center, visit childrensomaha.org. Thanks for listening to Healing Hearts, empowering critical care providers.